Shoot, I didn't come up with an alternate name for my joke. Oh no. Media Lads. Hello everybody, welcome back to Media Lads, the, the only show on the internet where lads talk about media. Let's go. I'm 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 your yeah, host. Woo, yeah. Huh? <laughs> woo yeah, woo yeah. Oh yeah, woo yeah, oh yeah, woo yeah. I'm your host, Tom. Joining me as per usual is your other host, Stark. Say hello. Hello, I'm Brandon Sanderson. It's him. He's finally here. <laughs> I, I, we finally got him on the show to replace everyone else. <laughs> replace everyone else. This is now the Tom and Brandon show. Replace everyone else, including me. I'm not even here. This is now just the Brandon show. This is just us playing his YouTube videos. Exactly. Where he talks about movie scripts. <laughs> where he talks about the Sonic movie. <laughs> One of the best modern fantasy authors made a YouTube video essay about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie script. I just you can't make it up. You can't. So tell me, how's, I'm okay with that. How's Stormlight Four going? Um, it's it's going. You know, uh, <clears throat> the uh, I I think the the romance between Kaladin and Syl is really quite strong. Ah, uh, yeah, I can I can see that. I can see that happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the pairing that makes very good logical sense and is very emotionally engaging. Yeah. I've killed off everyone else. Uh, it's just those two now. Everyone else in the entire world. It's just them two in apocalyptic hex. Two now living in an apocalyptic hex space. With no other. It's it's basically just I am legend, but there's also a spread. Basically, yes. That's oh, yeah. what it is. Perfect. This is a good Bye. bit. This is a good bit. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. 10 out of 10. Good bit. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, uh, <laughs> let's let's move on to our first segment. Music. Theme music. Music. So what, have, what have you listened to this month? What have I listened to this month? Well, let's see. I tried to listen to more stuff. I don't know. Uh, I guess I'll start off with like the one thing we didn't both listen to. Uh, Turquoise Trail, soundtrack for a Western by Justin Johnson. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very good concept album of uh, mostly instrumental tracks that are very heavily uh, spaghetti western influenced uh, oh, yeah. with a little little bit of blues rock in there. Since that's mainly what he does. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> a shocking amount of heavy instrumentation. Like, a lot of the guitar on this album is super heavy and rock-inspired, especially on, like, his uh his cover of Ghost Riders in the Sky. It's, Heck yeah. It's, it's a very heavy cover, and I, I really love it. If you're going to listen to any song off of the, the album, then go listen to that one. Oh, yeah. It's good. I didn't end up listening to the whole album because I forgot, but... That's a good mm -hmm. cover. How about you? Well, uh... Or you just have the one. I have, uh... Two, but one of them includes five, so... What now? Yeah, I guess I'll just talk about my first. I, I listened to All right. the band Rhapsody, or Rhapsody of Fire, after they rebranded. Oh, uh, yeah. 
The one you made me listen to. Yeah. They're uh, Emerald Sword Saga, which is a series of five concept albums that make up one overarching story. Oh, okay. Honestly, I'm very bad at paying attention to story in music, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't know what happened in the story. It just kind of sounded cool. Uh, it, it, they perfectly capture that sort of classic fantasy feel in their music, so it, be like it did the job. So, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the, the one you made me listen to. Do what? Uh, the saga uh, encompasses the five albums... Uh, Legendary Tales, Symphony of Enchanted Lands, Dawn of Victory, Reign of a Thousand Flames, and Power of the Dragon Flame. Oh, okay. Symphony of Enchanted Lands is the best one. Emerald uh-huh. Sword is an absolute heckin' banger. And that's also the one I made you listen to. Oh, okay. I like the, uh... Because I, I really adore symphonic metal. Symphonic metal is a, is a sick genre. Oh, heck yeah. But, like... I kind of wish that there was a lot more inspiration in the instrumentation and uh, construction overall from like classical music in this album more than any other that I've his delivers that in stride and it's beautiful. It really is. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Nice. They're, they're good music. You can't really go wrong with any other albums, honestly. But if you just want to pick one. Get a good tasting. Symphony of Enchanted Lands is where to go. It's a good starting point. If you don't care about the story, which you probably shouldn't. Uh, I know there's there's something to do with a sword and. Uh, uh, nah, it's something kings. about a sword. Some some guys died. I think and there's uh, an I emerald really sword because they the name of the saga is Emerald Swords. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's dragons. I guess I don't know. I don't know, the dragon. They made a sequel saga of albums later that had Christopher Lee doing voiceovers. That's pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Oh, that is intriguing. Probably get to that at some point, but whatever. So, what else have you listened to this month? What have I listened to this month? Um, I feel like I I did listen to more. Should have listened. The only other things I have are the, the other three that we both listened to. Yeah. I guess let's start with Edge of Eternity by Lord. Is that, is Heck that an yeah. accent? I don't know if that's pronounced Lore, or if there's like an accent to it because it's got an accent mark technically. I don't know. I don't know, I don't care. It's a good album. Lore is a fantastic band that I absolutely adore. Lore I love is guys. one of the most under... A pre underknown bands I've ever come across. Underknown is that a is that a real phrase? I don't know, but I made it, I I made it one now. It now because it's not underrated because not enough people know it exists for it to be for underrated. it to be underrated. Yeah. Their first album, In Forgotten Sleep, is genuinely one of the most unique folk metal albums I've listened to, and honestly one of my absolute favorites. these absolute maniacs found a way to take the compositional styles of power metal and american folk music and just smash them together in such a perfect way that it creates an entirely new style of music mm-hmm. with a lot of like uh f- like fantastic tones to a lot of it a yeah. lot of it sounds like it would not be out of place in like a uh like a highly stylized 
like animated 80s high fantasy flick. Yeah, I can see that. So it's not like folk metal in the general, the usual sense. In the general it's sense, you'll get with something like with uh, some folkish elements, but it's mm-hmm. a complete marriage of the two compositional styles to create something wholly unique and new, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is something you don't see very often. Yeah, the musical style lies somewhere between dreamy and nightmarish, like very melodic and sweet and just thrashing and powerful. Somewhere in between all these different worlds to create something very, very different. Yeah, there there is really nothing else out there that Mm -hmm. does what they're doing. The only real issue I can... With with their first album, In Forgotten Sleep, really, the literal only complaint I had was the production. The the vocal production, specifically. Yeah, but just the production in general for the first one, because a lot of the instruments sound kind of muddled together, and there's not a lot of Mm -hmm. distinction between them. And on top of that, the vocals are kind of buried under the rest of the mix. Mm-hmm. But with the yeah. but everything else, the composition to the performances to everything is near perfection. It's gorgeous. Then in their latest album, Edge of Eternity, they upped the production in pretty much every area. The guitars are more mm-hmm. distinct. The bass is more distinct. It all oh, blends yeah. together in a really beautiful way. The only the, issue uh, is the acoustic elements of like the harp and the acoustic guitar and piano come together quite beautifully and melt together in and out of one another really again the only issue with it is once again the vocals are kind of buried under the rest of the mix which while it is better it's still kind of hard to make out the lyrics a lot of the time even then like just just the sound of the vocals and like the the rhythm and the almost melodic nature of those vocals carries it through quite well it really does it's it's really only a mild complaint like especially on that uh the the very last track in the album the title track oh heck yeah the gosh the harmonies on that thing are beautiful sound like a uh, like like a battle cry in a, a last stand it's so good and it all like and it all crescendos so so beautifully it gives me a it gives me a physical high man yeah, this is a demand. Go listen to Laura's music. It, At the very else. least, go listen to to the title track of the album, and then listen to the rest of it. Listen to both, or just listen to the it's rest all, of it in general. Yeah, it's all really great stuff that you it's won't very, find literally anywhere else. Nowhere else. It's. And I have, it's I have a special amount of respect for home. bands that really try and branch out and do something entirely unique. And mm-hmm. the fact that they did that and managed to pull it off so well is insane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I concur wholeheartedly. Excuse me. You got anything else you want to bring up? It's all I listen to. to. Ah, okay. So, unless you got anything else. Not, not. If I do have anything else, I've forgotten about it and didn't write it down. Oh, nice. So, uh... Uh, one of the other things I listened to and forced Tom to listen to uh, Hell Among the Yearlings by Gillian Welch. Oh, yeah. It's a good album. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a very good album. A very good uh, traditional Appalachian folk record with uh, a couple of kind of old-time inspired sounds, mostly just trad folk, trad Appalachian folk, which I appreciate greatly coming from that region. Heck yeah. 
uh, handled surprisingly well, considering the the fact that Gillian Welch actually hails from California, somewhere around L.A., I believe. She became, like, uh, enamored or fascinated with the the music and that culture and started doing her own stuff within that genre, and it comes through very, very nicely on a lot of the tracks. It's a re- it's a really nice nice album with a lot of very peaceful nice instrumentation and some really really good ballads on there as well like uh coal miner's refrain I believe one of the tracks is titled which is quite quite well written and then there's uh there's a very very strange very strange song like just smack in the middle of it where they just go like full like rockabilly and Elvis. It's very strange. Okay. It's a good album. You should, like, listen to it and check it out. Yeah, it's good. I don't remember much about it specifically, but it is good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't pay attention to music as much as I should when I'm listening to it a lot of times. Nice job. The last album that I I listened to, and I forced Tom to listen to at gunpoint. That's because I was very resistant to the idea. Yes, he was very resistant to the idea that he was fully on board with. Yeah. I had to hold a shotgun. As we all know, I despise music. folk music, so I, I, I listened to this kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Illusion and Doubt by The Dead South is an album that I kind, kind of love, I think. It's pretty darn good. The, uh, the band's, their, their description... On Spotify, they they kind of describe themselves as being a a rock band without a, without a drummer and the bluegrass band without a fiddler, huh. which is a, a a fairly apt description that I would fits say. Weirdly well, it, it does. It describes their music very very well, especially on uh, tracks like the first track on the album Boots it was very very uh thrumming rockish nature with these uh bluegrass instruments and instrumentation it's not really a, a straight like traditional bluegrass album either there's far far more uh like western influence on on the album and the sounds and the the lyrics from like uh you know texas and oklahoma and those regions and even on the uh the track the good lord i think it is they bring in some steel guitar in the uh the back of the track backing up these these kind of rockish bluegrass uh instrumentations and harmonies and it melds really really genuinely quite beautifully i think they do that on a, at least a few of the the tracks and they have maybe like one tradi- like tr- straight traditional bluegrass song hmm. and it all closes off on, on a, a very haunting eight-minute ballad about the, the tragedy of a, a gunslinger. Yeah. Which in and of itself is a really, really fantastic song with a lot of haunting, very unnerving undertones and sounds about it that I really dig, along with this bluegrass western yeah. instrumentation and yeah. harmony. I really dig the vibe of the album overall. Mm-hmm. It's good. The, the vocals as well are like are super on most of the songs are super gruff and like gravelly that lended this this sort of roughness 
this kind of this kind of roughness that I really like. Yeah. It's a good album. You should really go check it out. Do it, coward. You won't. Ah, yes. <laughs> Calling our listeners cowards. <laughs> a time-honored tradition. Yes. We just want you all, all you listening, to know your words. Uh, and you should do this, but you won't. You all suck, and you won't be cool unless you have the exact same opinions on media that we do. So you better you go. You suck. We despise you with every fiber of our being. And please uh, donate to Please our go buy our merchandise. Go buy the Media Lads merchandise, which definitely exists. Go buy the Media Lads t-shirt on, uh, on Etsy. <laughs> what do we even put on merchandise? Oh, uh, we have to we have to say more funny quotes so that we can. We gotta put we gotta say more funny quotes that we can put on mugs. Uh, music, more like. Uh, uh, uh good. <laughs> there we go. Shirt. Shirt opportunity. Let's go. All right, go print that one on a hoodie. Music more like good. Let's get this. Let's <laughs> Just, get this shirt viral. Got an image with Tom like in a '90s skater kid outfit with sunglasses. Music more like good. Just Ugh. doing finger guns. Homework. I'd rather skate. Oh wait, that's a different joke. <laughs> that's an in joke. You can't rap the ear. It's not allowed. <laughs> Not like our last episode. It's <laughs> a mess. It was chaos. Good chaos, but chaos. Good chaos, but chaos nonetheless. Speaking of chaos, let's move on to the next segment. <laughs> Which will inevitably be more chaotic. Heck yeah. Book time. Let's go. Book time. Let's go. Book time. Books and games. So do you, uh, do you have much for this one? Because I have several. Uh, I actually, I finished a book. Technically speaking, it was last month, but I didn't talk about the podcast. I've been reading it uh, off and on in between reading uh, Brandon Sanderson novels. Oh, yeah. A, uh, a family member had given me a number of uh, John Grisham novel uh, books that they found at a, a yard sale, I think. Who He writes mainly like... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, courtroom thrillers and such. Oh, interesting. Or, I suppose, not necessarily courtroom. Not all of them take place in a court. Like, law-based law thrillers and such. So I finished his most well-known book, probably, The Rainmaker, last month. It's a generally en enjoyable enough read. Uh, honestly, I don't love it. I wouldn't rave about it, necessarily. <laughs> It's enjoyable enough up to a certain extent. The pacing can be pretty, uh, uh, pretty slow and monotonous a lot of the time. Uh, the characterization is pretty decently enjoyable. They're not like you know super complex emotional beings that you really get to know the the heart and the core of and relate to. But they they carry the story well enough for what it is. But somewhere around the, the midpoint, maybe not even the midpoint, somewhere a little after the midpoint, the author spends a lot of the book putting the main protagonist just through absolute crap, just oh, yeah. one after the other. Stuff gets worse and just starts piling down on him. But then after a certain point, 
it just kind of stops and the, the drama itself doesn't really go anywhere else. Like it just kind of goes stagnant and things just start going super easily and smoothly for him. And he's not even really the cause of it. It just kind of happens. Yeah, that's, that's good writing. Kind of just because it seems kind of like the author just kind of demanded for it to happen. Like, very conveniently, there's this uh, this bit where he meets the judge for this insurance case that he's taking on. His main protag is a, a rookie who's never done this before in his life. And the judge is, basically, he's just on the side of this insurance company. He's good friends with the guy who's defending it. He's like, oh, dear Lord, I'm going to be eaten alive and stuff. Very conveniently, the day after that, that judge has a heart attack and was replaced by a judge who is far more sympathetic towards our main protagonist's cause. Oh, that's and because good. of that, everything starts going very easily and smoothly for Boy. him with the trial. Well, it's sure lucky that happened. The book kind of also ends on, like, not even like a like a whimper necessarily. It just kind of ends. Oh, my favorite Like, without kind of feeling like anything was really particularly gained or... Uh, any sort of point was reached in the story for it to to end. It just kind of ends, uh-huh. and that's it. He and love interest just kind of drive off, and that's it. That's literally it. Oh yeah, driving off into the sunset in a sweet Corvette. It's, it's 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 enjoyable enough for the most part, but dear lord, somewhere past that midpoint, something just lost its way completely. It doesn't like derail, but it it loses a lot of what whatever emotional investment it had or investment in general it just kind of peters off rip yeah big rip uh, i don't think there was much else that i finished because after that you know things kind of shut down and i wasn't able to get stuff from the library anymore yeah, yeah. so you know i just kind of reread a couple things I almost finished rereading uh, Sanderson's Shadows of Self, but didn't finish it because I picked up Oathbringer <laughs> one day, and I've been reading that ever since. <laughs> so I won't like go in depth about it. Yeah, Shadows of Self is good. I really like it. It's good. It's. I mean, it's Mistborn. It's gonna be good. <laughs> I won't. I won't talk about Oathbringer since I've not finished it yet. Yeah, don't you dare. Don't worry, I won't. You you need to get to it, man. I'm working on it. How about you, Tom? Thomas Thinchipsleyberg. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> my name, Thomas Thinchipsleyberg. Thomas Thin. <laughs> Doesn't he? Yes. <laughs> That's your official birth name now. I've changed it. Oh, no, my birth certificate is morphing before my eyes. I don't know why I'm holding it, but I can see it happening. Why do you have your birth certificate before your eyes? Don't judge me. <laughs> Is that something normal people do? Listen, we all have our vices. <laughs> we Mine all have is our... holding on to my birth certificate at all times. One time, my parents tried to pry it out of my fingers, but I just, I just decked them with a, with a right hook. Give me old left hook. One two combo, jab jab. <laughs> my dad looked at me with a black eye and was like, "You know what, son? I'm proud of you. You can keep your birth certificate. You're a real fighter, son. I can respect that." <laughs> I can respect that in a man. You finally become a man. Speaking of uh, becoming a man, father figures, what, what else did you read? I'm not sure how that plays into any of what I've read, but I'll roll with it. it. Just pretend like I'm good at segues, all right? All right. 
I'm begging you, please. I have nothing else to go for. So, for once, I actually read stuff this month. Uh, I'm shocked. Uh, I've been trying to get myself more well-read recently, so I've been forcing mm -hmm. myself to do more reading, and... Mm -hmm. Yes, it's been good. Uh, I finished the... This is at the beginning of the month. I've been kind of reading it throughout a good chunk of the year. But mm -hmm. I finished the Tokyo Ghoul manga. So for those uh, of you tired you of hearing us it. talk yeah. about Tokyo Ghoul, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll never stop until the end of time. We'll never stop until I finish the sequel manga, which will happen at some point later. So we're, we're almost done. About... I swear. Then we'll talk about the live-action adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never be over. It will never end. Yeah, well, while I still hold the position that the first season of the anime is good, and the second season is a disgrace, the, <laughs> it's abysmal. the manga takes it to a whole other level. Because, like, yes, it, but a whole other level of good or bad? Good. It, it, it obviously it blows the second season out of the water because that's not hard to do, but it mm -hmm. completely blows the first season out of the water too. Really? Because just in terms of like, yeah. <clears throat> you see, I had thought out what I was gonna say after I finished it, but it's been weeks, so I don't remember exactly what all my points were. But uh, it does a better job of explaining and exploring the world it's set in in a far more organic way because. That is an issue I had with the first with with the first season of the anime because it just kind of expected mm -hmm. you to know what it was talking about. Yeah, like it it never really actually explains what stuff like Kagune or Queen Kays are. I don't just not like realize that. that it doesn't do that. It just kind of implies. It just really, kind of implies and expects you to get it, which yeah. by the end of it you kind of do. But it's also kind of nice to have an actual explanation for it. Yeah. Plus, I think the overall structure is a bit more smooth there are certain events that got rearranged in the adaptation that while they still work well in the uh, tv format it mm -hmm. all just flows a little better in the manga yeah plus it's longer so it has more time to explore its ideas mm -hmm. but then we get to the second half of it which got turned into re <laughs> not re, not re. Ah. that's that's some it's a rude a that's a Ari, wholly different Ari's thing. Ari's the sequel series. Uh, Rude is the second half in mm -hmm. uh, the second season. But, uh, yeah, the, the the show decided to go in a completely different direction. That didn't make sense. So read, getting to that point in the manga and being like, oh, there's actually a story here. And mm. they actually do interesting things with Kaneki as a character and the characters around him. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's it's a hard thing to recommend because a lot of people don't read manga. <laughs> and it's a lot harder to get into that kind of thing than a show, but if you're open to that, definitely read it. Because mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. Honestly, if if you can get your hands on it, I'd say skip the show. Because while the show is a good kind of entry point, you're just getting a better overall experience from the yeah. source material. Mm -hmm. If you can find it anywhere. Because, uh, yeah, well, the show, I'd put around like a light seven or so. And like the sequel, I'd put like a light four. Mm -hmm. The manga, I'd put like a, uh, 
was it a strong eight, light nine, almost? Because mm-hmm. it, it does a stupendous job exploring its themes and its ideas and its characters in a really organic and human way. Mm-hmm. And especially in certain points where it's dealing with moments of insanity, with how it will tell and communicate that to the audience by stuff like the panel layout and how the text is formatted, it's surprisingly effective. It really uses its medium to its advantage there. Mm-hmm. Really, the only main complaint I have is the action. Because while in general I think the art is pretty darn good, the action sequence panels are kind of hard to make out. Like, mm-hmm. the way they're drawn just makes it hard to tell what exactly is going on in a fight sequence. So you just kind of have to fill in gaps with your brain, which isn't the best way to go about that. But, eh, I don't know. It's a minor complaint. Overall, it's still an excellent piece of storytelling and art that I highly recommend. So yeah, that's that. I'm very good. Sorry, I'm busy doing a genius thing quick. Uh, let me just grab this. Uh-oh. Genius moment incoming. Alright, so here's my pitch for what we should do. Huh? Uh, <clears throat> Alright, so imagine this. You wake up one morning... You, uh, you, you wake up one morning, you're all groggy and tired and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh, man, you know what I could go for? I could go for a cup of coffee. Uh-oh. So you go to your cabinet, you open up the, the thing, and you go to pick out a mug. But you need, for some reason, I don't know why, you're just a weirdo. You need a specific mug for it to really have the right, the right effect. So you pick out the perfect mug. The, the absolute perfect mug this is that mug for you I can see that this is an audio medium yes but you can edit the image in there if if you're if you're not watching the video version you're missing out look at the stupendous mug you're missing Allow me to describe. There's a white mug uh, on screen currently, with with the uh, the text "Mutter Mutter Media Lads," uh, the famous quote from Tom. Incredible. Just Go buy it. our merch that exists. It really exists. Just Google it, Media Lads merch, and click the first link you find. Click <laughs> the first link you find. <laughs> Trust us, we're not going to scam Wait, you. What actually comes up for that? Media Lads merch. Did you mean Metalheads merch? No, I did not. <laughs> Where do you get Metalheads from Media Lads? The first link to R is Pirate, pinned by Media Guys on Redbubble.com. Go buy the, our, the, our merch. To Air is Human, to R is Pirate buy it <laughs> what else does media guys do they seem fun they seem like fun dudes what is this it's a good rabbit hole it's a pug life spiral notebook what a shirt that says real photographer my camera can't phone home oh no life begins after coffee ah what a good mug design is that a shirt? 
I wore my underwear on the outside once. Guess it's different when a superhero does it. Seems legit. It's pretty. It's pretty heckin' funny. <laughs> All right, that was a good rabbit hole. Moving on with the actual podcast. Back to the regular. Back to regularly show. scheduled show. Uh. <laughs> But also be read. <laughs> I also uh, listened to the audiobook of The Martian by Andy Weir. Oh yeah, I forgot that was a book. Yeah, it's it's pretty darn good. It's, Is it? Yeah. Like honestly, it's one of those rare cases where the book and the movie are about equal in terms of quality. The oh. book gets a slight edge because the movie Hollywooded the ending mm-hmm. and kind of made it worse. But aside from that, you're really getting an equally good experience with either one. Mm-hmm. The book takes yeah. more, it takes its time more and delves more into the nitty-gritty science of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I can't attest to how accurate it is to real science because I'm an idiot, but <laughs> but uh, it, it works for the story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I haven't yeah. watched the film in ages. And, uh, yeah. I really need to read more like sci-fi. Same. But uh, yeah, if if you like some some good sci-fi with some a lot of detail and explanation I as to why what's happening happens and all that, then it's a good book. It's got it's got some good characters. I'm not really making into like favorites territory, but they all work mm-hmm. well for the story they're in. Enjoyable enough. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. Don't have much it's else good. to say besides that. It's a good book. Oh yeah. Uh, also, listen to the audiobook of *Promise of Blood*, the first book in the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan, which is interesting. I'll say that the character work and stuff all works for the story, and they're likable enough. But the 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 thing that really invested me the whole time was the actual like plot honestly because it takes a very interesting approach where at when it starts a coup d'etat just happened mm-hmm. where most stories will tell the story of pulling off the coup or and not really deal with the aftermath or maybe it'll take like a misborn t- approach where they deal with the government after the fact as well mm-hmm. but this it doesn't even have any built up to it at all at the first like few pages the dude walks in and there's a coup that's just gotten mm-hmm. down and the rest of the book is dealing with the immediate after effects of it the civil oh. unrest the royalists causing a civil war you know just trying mm-hmm. to hold the country together during a very tumultuous time there's natural disasters there's outside countries using the chaos to make moves Mm-hmm. It's it's very interesting, and there's a lot of always a lot happening to really keep you on your toes and not sure what's gonna go down. Mm-hmm. And well, I wouldn't say I loved it, but and it's not like got me just itching to get to the next book. I am yeah. interested to see where the story goes, and I'll definitely pick up the next the other two at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's got some interesting magic systems because there are three primary ones among others that are kind of hinted at Mm -hmm. that all play different roles in the world and are kind of interesting so yeah if you like a good fantasy with a lot of guns then Uh, i enjoy good gun fantasy well that's that is the entire pitch for it 
You got oh because okay. the the powder mages they snort gunpowder. They have abilities. What so now? The the primary method of magic that they do is snorting or eating gunpowder. Holy crap! To enhance their physical ability, <laughs> it's good media lands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and it's addictive. So it there's a lot of substance abuse stuff. In Holy there. crap! That sounds. That sounds really interesting. They also have like a telepathic control over gunpowder and bullets, so they can they can nudge bullets in midair to make them more accurate. They can shoot bullets by telepathically igniting gunpowder and firing the bullet in midair. Only that's less accurate. It's less accurate than using a gun, but it works. That's cool as heck, man. Yeah. There's uh. Na- there's the Nact, which is like a less powerful and flashy form of sorcery that gives people mm. like a specific, really solid ability that's useful, but isn't the most, you know, over the top. Mm-hmm. Like one guy has a perfect memory and never forgets anything. A different guy oh. never needs to sleep. There's one guy who can telepathically pick locks. Mm-hmm. So it- I don't know why you'd want to never have to sleep. Sleeping is fun. <laughs> It makes him a good bodyguard. Huh. Uh, the third magic system is the hardest to uh, explain quickly because mm-hmm. it involves them manipulating like the spiritual side of the world to cause uh-huh. different things to happen. So they can okay. shoot. They can shoot lightning or fire bolts. They're the overpowered mm-hmm. ones. But sounds like it but i mean there's also i could be wrong but controlling lightning sounds like it yeah yeah but there is an interesting power dynamic to that because the privileged as they're called are insanely powerful but they're only effective mm-hmm. at close range while the powder mm-hmm. mages can kill you from miles off oh so that's going cool on my list i gotta read that yeah it's it's pretty good it's that sounds pretty sick it is it is what would it feel like to just snort gunpowder? That sounds like it would not feel particularly pleasant. Snorting anything doesn't sound particularly pleasant. I mean, you're not wrong, but <laughs> gunpowder especially. Uh, it, it gives them enhanced senses and stuff so they can see better. So, I don't know. I never thought gunpowder would enhance it. Well, if you're magic, it does it. If and only if you're magic, and I doubt any of you are. Yeah, I-, I see you sitting there listening to this podcast, eating your Doritos. You ain't magic at all, punk. <laughs> Get up off the couch. Stop eating Doritos. Go buy a better chip. Get up off the couch and start snorting gunpowder. Maybe you'll be start magic. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe one day something will happen. Snort. Don't know if it'll be good. Yeah. So uh, the-, the one other thing I read this month was uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. I- the only the other old, thing that we've both read. The old classic. Ye old and classic. And it's an it's pretty good. It's an interesting one. It is interesting. Because in, in terms of what I generally look for in a story, it doesn't provide much. The uh-huh. characters are feel pretty one note. The plot and general structure of how it's told does not really vibe with me very much at all. Mm, but the structure is super weird. But on a but, conceptual and thematic level, this book is in an entire other ballpark to pretty much it's on anything a whole else. Different level. 
the the white explorers its its themes is insane this 200 year old gothic horror sci-fi novel tackles the subject of artificial intelligence in such a uniquely excellent way artificial intelligence and playing god in the same book like creating artificial intelligent life and then the ramifications of that and the responsibilities of that and what happens if you fail to uphold your responsibilities to that one day your creation might come around asking for an epic gamer gf and if you say no the ramifications yeah honestly it really blows my mind that it's been 200 years and no one has made a faithful adaptation of it yet how is that possible like there is the closest we've gotten to a good one is the 30s monster movie which Mm -hmm. is even then it's a very loose retelling yeah it really only shares a couple names and scenes and that's it yeah it's fun for a 30s monster movie but aside from that it does not capture what the story of frankenstein is at all not in the slightest and neither do any of the uh, adaptations following yeah i mean people point to young frankenstein as a good like satire comedic piece but that also doesn't even attempt to capture what the that's more that's just satiring the original film not not even the book yeah so it is it's just why it's in the public domain why has no one been like hey let's actually tell the story right while improving the aspects of it that don't hold up as well there's there's no good reason for that not happening there's no good reason it has to happen and now i'm going to make it fund my kickstarter <laughs> fund the media lads kickstarter for frankenstein so we can make frankenstein the true movie That's... so we can tell this story and tell it right heck yeah it's not gonna happen but yeah, it's good, but in a very different way than I tend to prefer stories. So it's a very interesting case where I still really respect and love it, but for very different reasons than I generally tend to. So yeah, it's a sh- pretty, like it's, how... it's a pretty short, like two hundred page read. So and you can read it for free if you have Amazon Prime. So give it a go. Mm-hmm. I like how uh, how basically the whole third act of the book is kicked off by, by by the monster coming up and being like, hey, dad figure, I you, you basically, you played God when you shouldn't have, and you made me a horrible monstrosity. And I'm, I'm never going to fit in with actual, you know, human society. So, if, I mean, the least you could do is, like, make me a, an epic gamer <laughs> girlfriend. You know, we'll go live our lives. Okay, that, that's the thing I forgot to mention. The, the, the monster talks way too eloquently and verbose. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, even if you learned human language, he would not talk that learnedly. <laughs> Especially he since like he bi- learned by listening to other people talk for Specifically months. villagers. He learned by listening to rural villagers talk for months, and somehow from that... And somehow he sounds like he attended Oxford <laughs> University for four years. Yeah. Also, there's a in t- speaking of the structure, there's this really weird part in the monster's account where he just tells the story of the people he was stalking. Like he talks about how he found these letters about this kid's story, and then it's like, and now I will tell you the kid's story, even though it's not relevant to me at all, and just tells this friggin' swashbuckling sounding story. Then like, I want to read that. 
it sounds genuinely like a fun and exciting swashbuckling story. But it's, we get like a, a, a glorified Wikipedia plot synopsis for the <laughs> monster. It's like, okay, I don't know why this is here, but whatever. The structure of Frankenstein is whack. It's, it's bizarre. It starts off with letters from this guy to his sister, I think, while he's on an Arctic ex- expedition. And the thing that makes it all, all the more better is tiredy, tiredy of the, including the monster's recount, is Frankenstein telling the story to some sailor. Yeah, the sailor so is writing. Frank, no, no, no. Yeah, the, Frankenstein the, recounting the story in first person, and then telling the monster's point of view as the monster, and then telling the monster telling him about this other boy's story, uh, and going back to the monster's point of view, yeah. talking to Frankenstein, then back to Frankenstein's point of view, and uh, then yeah. into the present, where he's talking to the sailor. Yeah, the sailor is recounting in first person to his sister, then Frankenstein recounts in first person to the sailor, who is recounting it in first person to the sister, then Frankenstein's recounting his story in first person to Frankenstein, who's recounting that story in first person to the sailor, who is recounting it in first person to the sister. So <laughs> So there's it's just so, so many layers of first-person accounts. So it's so deep. I feel like just in explaining that, we have transcended <laughs> to another level of existence. It is ridiculous. We have gained a higher understanding of the world because of this. But, yeah. It, it's a weird book, but I, I, I do think it is worth it, despite it's, its It is a weirdness. good book, despite all of our making fun of it. There's stuff we make fun of, but in terms of thematic exploration and just that kind that uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Nicely done, my friend. With thematic ex- exploration and just that section of storytelling, it does it mm-hmm. in a way that's better than most anything else I've seen or read. Mm-hmm. So, props to you, Mary Shelley. Nice, nice going. Good job. I guess carrying around your dead husband's heart pays off. Wait, what? Yes, I'm not Hold kidding. Up. What? I, I, Mary I... Shelley, like, carried around the heart of her dead husband, I think. Unless uh... I'm mistaken, like, in a jar. Okay. She may have kept it in one of her drawers, maybe. So that's where Pirates of the Caribbean got the idea. <laughs> From Mary Shelley. <laughs> oh, boy. Gore Verbinski was just reading about her life and was like, you know, that's kind of metal. I want to do heart that. in a jar. I can do that. <laughs> I can All do that. All it's missing is dirt. And we missing have the perfect equation for success. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, yeah, unless you have anything else you read, I think that'll wrap up this segment. No. Man, it's been ages since we've done the book segment. We haven't done that since our very first episode when I talked I about a lot. That was before we had segments. Yeah. And then we tried to do it in the second episode, but that got, ended up getting cut. So this is the yeah. first appearance in a canon first episode. For, in a long time. Heck yeah. And hopefully it'll appear more, because I'm trying to read a lot more. Because mm-hmm. that's good. But, uh, yeah, let's move on to our next segment. Film and TV. TV. Film and TV. So, film and TV, what have you watched this month? Not much, because I ended up getting really burnt out really early on in the month after the past mm-hmm. few months of watching a oh, lot. Yeah. So I only have two things to talk about. Oh, that's good. So what I, have you... Uh, what? Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll 
They both go together, but I'll talk about them separately. I watched the second Evangelion Rebuild film, 2.0, oh, yeah. You Cannot Advance. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And... Okay. The first one was a glorified clip show of events from the show. Mm-hmm. Not to knock it too much, because for being that, it was it, it was about as good as it could be. Mm-hmm. Plus, it, it, it was very pretty. It was very pretty. Very nice. 10 out of 10. <laughs> but uh, 2.0 is like, yeah, what if we stopped doing that? Because it, it follows some familiar beats with the show, but all of the events that happen that are reminiscent of it have completely different contexts to them. Mm-hmm. And that ending is very <laughs> not what happens in the show. Like... Ugh. How do I even talk about this without spoiling it? Oh, boy. First to say, my, my, my man, Hideki Anno, is a friggin' creative genius. And I say that 100% unironically. Like, mm-hmm. the stuff this man is doing and has done with Evangelion is insane. <laughs> Evangelion is a weird franchise. It's a weird franchise, but it does what it does weirdly so good most of the time. Mm-hmm. Not to say all the time, but it's got a pretty consistent level of high quality. Mm-hmm. So while I don't think the, these rebuild films are on the same level of the show, because mm-hmm. the show just is one of the best pieces of self-expressionistic art I have ever seen. And the films don't really try to do that. They take a very different, far more blockbuster-ish approach to the story. It's far less mm-hmm. art house as a po- compared to the show. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it don't get a little weird here and there. <laughs> very weird. <laughs> this man likes to just mess with your brain. <laughs> like, I, I. The show and the rebuilds, they all have endings that just take me days to mentally process and really come to terms with how I feel about them because they're just so out there. But they all work. I don't know how he does it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, oh, man. So uh, the second rebuild is very is very good. I'll, I'll say that much. It's hard. It's... <sighs> It's really hard to talk about without spoiling because so much of it comes down to the specific things they do in it. But, mm-hmm. yeah. 2.0 is the closest I think the rebuilds have gotten so far to coming close to the show's level of quality. Mm-hmm. Which is impressive considering how high up on that the show is. But, mm-hmm. and I don't even. And saying it's not as good as that isn't even a knock against them, because they're good in very different ways, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I'm repeating myself, so I'll move on. Alright. 2.0 is good. After good. that, I watched the third film, 3.0, You Cannot Redo, which mm-hmm. is the most aptly named film in the rebuilds, because that is literally the entire theme of it. Hmm. Because it takes place after a 14-year time skip after the second film. Which, 
I don't know how else they could have done it considering that film's ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, it's weird because the first two take this blockbuster action-y focused approach. Following that, 3.0 takes a far more psychological approach than it's act than the action focused approach. In mm-hmm. like the second half of it, the first half was mostly just confusing. Because mm-hmm. you're launched into this completely different setting several years in the, like, over a decade in the future trying to catch up with what's happening. Once you get mm-hmm. over that and get into the nitty-gritty of the story, though, <sighs> if, if you think if you think your boy Shinji didn't go through enough emotional trauma in the show, boy, boy, howdy. Because mm. not, not to spoil 2.0, but the boy screws up majorly. <laughs> I I'll... sure do enjoy putting my characters through horrible emotional and mental trauma. Yeah, and so the third film is just him learning that and then having to deal with it. Because everything he did it was to try and help. So the fact that he failed at what he was trying to do so miserably, mm-hmm. and now everyone hates him. So yeah, it, it tackles that theme of just you screwed up everything you can't change it so what are you going to do about it now in a very it's a very interesting film i guess in its exploration of that mm-hmm. and it also throws one of those mind frick i don't know how to process this ending so i don't know where they're going in in the th- in the fourth if it ever comes out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's. I don't think it's as good as 2.0 or the show at all. It mm-hmm. it definitely flounders a lot more and takes a while to get its footing. But once it does, the things it explores are fascinating and genuinely really compelling. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely don't watch the rebuilds till after you see the show. But I mm-hmm. still recommend them quite heavily. Yeah, I gotta get to finishing that show. You do do it you must join me in the emotional trauma award i must join you in the transcendence that comes with watching ava and rebuild yeah if ever there was anything that deserves the label of deep that's kind of thrown around a lot it's ava (laughs) like completely unironically it deserves that label more than anything else i've ever seen so yeah that's all I watched this month. No Clone Wars update for me because I was burnt out. And the last thing I'm going to watch when you. I burn out is <laughs> freaking Clone Wars. Oh, I don't blame you at all. So, what did you watch oh, this month? I watched significantly more. Oh, yeah. Time to switch it back to normal. Been, these last couple months have been pretty pretty sparse for me in terms of watching stuff. Because I've either just not done it or been... Too busy that I just didn't watch anything. This month, however, was a rare exception. We're back to the status quo, ladies and gentlemen. I watch barely anything. He watches a bunch. Oh, yeah. The status quo has been restored. I'm going to start off. I don't know if I want to save that, this specific one for the end. Uh Uh-uh. Or not. So I'm just going to start off with the one I have the very least to say about, probably. So a couple of us... Uh, got together in a server, a Discord server. Oh yeah. And we uh we decided we'd have a movie night and watched uh, My Hero Academia: Two Heroes, yeah. the first MHA film. That was a fun time. It was it was a lot of fun, man. That movie is so much fun. 
I don't have anything else to say about it other than just it's really fun. It, it's a it's a moving story about the immutable bond between bros, and I mean, what could be better than that, really? Double Detroit Smash. Plus, exactly. Plus, like, there's some like you know really cool adrenaline pumping comic book stuff that happens, and it's it, pretty dope. It captures the charm and fun of the show and just does it in a film. It's got a sick soundtrack. It's got an absolutely infectious enthusiasm about what it's doing. It's a story about bros being bros. There's nothing else to ask for. (laughs) What more do you need than bros being bros? Exactly. You don't need anything else. The boys are homies. That's all you need. You've got the boys, and that's all you need in life. That that's the true message of Media Lads. If there's anything you want to take home from Media Lads, boys. It is. Support, oh wait, that's a different podcast. <laughs> that's a different podcast. <laughs> that's their brand. You can't steal their brand. You gotta uh, be original. Lads support lads. Now it's different. The boys are all that you need. The boys are bros before not bros. <laughs> <laughs> that rolls right off the tongue. Media yes, lads. Bros was, before it, not bros. It was a lot Buy of fun. Buy the t-shirt and in hoodie today i uh continuing with my uh i say continuing but it's very off and on (laughs) my uh disney plus uh nostalgia rewatch you know going back to my stuff from my childhood to see what stands up uh i i did rewatch the fox and the hound for the first time in in years And uh, it's it's honestly one of Disney's most underrated, in my opinion. It's huh. honestly really nice, and it gives off some pretty good vibes. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, it's, it's got a very striking juxtaposition with a very uh, intense uh, kind of kind of. I don't know if "violent" is the right word to describe it, but I'm just going to use it. Anyway. So you know, it's, it's it's good and it's it's nice to watch. You know, it's got a nice art style and yeah. I haven't seen that in heckin' years. Yeah, I, All uh, I remember I figured... is the ending was scary because bear. Because there was a big bear. And I was easily scared, so I didn't watch that movie much. To be honest, well, there are no there is no bear in fiction that is as terrifying as the country bears. <laughs> We're not talking about the country bears. <laughs> We let them <laughs> rot in the annals of history. <laughs> I'm gonna make you watch that one. Of the... I uh, also watched uh, <clears throat> Attack on Titan season one. Oh yeah. Yeah, the first season. I've been forcing him to go through that. He has been forcing me at gunpoint to watch through Attack on Titan. You gotta get to season three, man. I'm dying to talk about it. I, I will get to it. I'll finish season two next month. All right, get off my back. No. Season, Listen, season, you won't get right. off my back about Stormlight Archive. I won't get off all right, your back fine. about Attack that's, on Titan. All right, that's a fair, that's a fair trade-off. You can stay on me about Attack on Titan. I'll stay on you about Stormlight. Oh, yeah. So I, I watched the first season of Attack on Titan, and honestly, I, I think I kind of loved it a lot more than I was expecting to. It's a, it's a really phenomenally put-together first season of a, of a show and a story. And it's as as a whole, it's kind of if this makes any sense, it's kind of like the anti shonen. It really, really is. It, and it, it gets it, even more like that as it goes and progresses with Aaron's character. Mm-hmm. 
Like the almost the entire point of it is deconstructing shonen mm-hmm. tropes, especially the protagonist. Especially the protagonist. Aaron is basically a shonen protagonist who's just a straight shonen protag who's just completely thrust into this horribly dark, violent, unforgiving war. And he has to adjust and adapt to it and all of the, the moral gray areas that come with it. It's Yeah, it's taking someone with a very black and white perspective of the world and forcing mm-hmm. them to understand how gray things are. And it's and that's honestly not, really not even, fascinating. It, it is certainly very interesting the way it, it looks at that and talks about that. And that kind of romanticized, idealized of, of events and stories. But that's not even talking about like the just the straightforward story itself, which is crazy, man. <laughs> you see, this show is crazy. Genuinely, I thought I had kind of had it figured out as well out beforehand, even though I didn't know much about it. And then I watched it. I was like, "Holy crap! What am I watching? This is crazy." <laughs> the people that made this were just straight up snorting crack when writing it, and just. Because in just those first couple episodes, there's stuff that happens. You're like, dear Lord, what what just, what just, did I just witness? What is happening right now? Where is this going? And they never let you go out of that feeling. And you ain't Not knowing what is happening or what's coming. And it's, it's really effective in that way. It has a lot of, of uh, well, well-rounded characters and some pretty good emotional investment. But dang, man, the loops that it throws you through are insane. <laughs> and just it's, it's deconstruction of like the uh, like shonen tropes. Because there's there's an episode that's basically just a shonen episode, straight shonen. I find it very very interesting. It's a really good show, and I I enjoy it a lot more than I expected to. Just wait till season three. <laughs> oh oh boy. <laughs> The only other thing I have written down on here from this month that I've watched. Oh, Lord. Uh-oh. Okay, so. <clears throat> so I watched Artemis Fowl on Disney Plus this month. Oh, boy. Here we go. Whew. Josh Gad eats and farts out dirt. Let's go. <laughs> Let go, I have not seen this. Only that clip, and I, 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 I I'm sold. <laughs> Never watch this movie ever. <laughs> I don't Dear plan God. on it. I, I knew this was going to be bad, but I, I saw that clip of Josh Gad, and I was like, wow, this is awful. This is gonna be that this kind of really special, hilariously bad awful. I need to check this out. So I did. Turns out it was not that kind of awful. Instead, it was just regular off. It was painfully awful. That's no fun. Honestly, I I want to just rant and rave about how bad it is and how much it gets wrong. But I can't remember enough about it to do that. Nice. Why did you even finish it? Because I had committed to it. That's no excuse to torture yourself. You don't understand. I'm a very... I mean, I generally am that way about it too. But if it gets to a certain point, I just I, I gotta cut myself some slack, you know. Artemis Fowl is bad on another level. It is 
it's up there with Disney's A Wrinkle in Time in terms of really gosh awful adaptations. Percy Jackson. Yeah, I didn't think I would see an adaptation as bad as the Percy Jackson films until I watched this and I realized, oh nope, I was wrong. <laughs> they very much so are still being made. This film has the whole thing somehow feels incredibly outdated. If this does not feel like something that came out in the year of our Lord twenty twenty. This feels like something that came out back in like twenty eleven. And it needs to stay there and Better be time. It needs to be. It needs to stay in the year 2011, right on the tail end of like stuff, yeah, YA fantasy stuff like Aragon, and it just needs to stay there, buried and forgotten. It's bad, and I don't, I, I don't like it. I do not like it one bit. But it... Colin Farrell the whole time just looks like he's <laughs> the whole time. Colin Farrell's in this movie. He looks like he's in physical pain. He just he just wants them. He just wants the Disney exec holding a gun to his head to put him out of his misery. Gotta do what you gotta do for a paycheck, you know. I mean, yeah, but there's a certain point where <laughs> where you gotta ask yourself: Is this worth the paycheck? Apparently, midway not... through, he decided it wasn't. <laughs> it was. Had to he do just... it because he was under contract? <laughs> he just disappeared from the set. Like, where is he? Oh, he's screaming in the in the dumpster again come on Farrell we gotta get to work not again I won't come back they have to drag him out of the dumpster kicking and screaming on set they just have to spray him down with a hose now act the part and he just goes limp and barely acts <laughs> he, just, he starts biting at the crew and they spray him with a water bottle he hisses at them <laughs> aggressively and they squirt him in the face with a water bottle no bad bad colin farrell bad colin get over there now you might even say colin went feral wow wow i'm a comedic genius everyone i want to laugh on three one two three (laughs) all right thank you i heard the whole world laughing that was crazy you know, I wanna. There's a part of me that wants to reprimand you for making that joke, but at the same time, I am like a proud pun father who is very glad that you're doing this. I've been conditioned by my brothers to just think in puns. Your brothers it. did well. Yeah. yeah, Artemis Fowl is bad, and I want to. I'm gonna take it out back with a shotgun. Good. Very good. That's that for that segment. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's let's move on to our main topic then, I guess. Let's move on to something with some actual quality now. Yeah. Main subject. For once, we decided to go with something genuinely good rather than For awful once. or comedically bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or just you want to tell them what it is since it was your month to choose? Oh yeah, we got the Way of Kings by. Brando Sando, my homeboy. homeboy. <laughs> Book one of Brand the Stormlight the Archive series. Yes. Modern fantasy at its peak. I say that like I read a lot of modern fantasy, but I'm only <laughs> just getting started. The only other modern fantasy book I've read is Promise of Blood this month. So I don't The only have, other modern fantasy context that I have read outside of 
Sanderson stuff is back when I was younger and I read Percy Jackson stuff. That's like, or that's like two thousands YA. Basically, is very different from the modern state of adult-oriented fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So anyway, if you like a two two, uh, what am I saying? A one thousand page epic. Whew, there's a good one here. Shoot. This. This is one of the most structurally I... complex stories I've read. Just of course, I'm going to have a hard time yeah. actually talking about this because Tom decided to finish it and make it main topic months after I finished it. It's not my fault you're good at reading the series at a decent pace. Doesn't mean I can't blame you. I mean, yeah, but I can also blame you. I mean, all right, that's fair, I guess. How dare you enjoy the story and get through it at a decent pace while I just did <laughs> I, I don't simply enjoy Not to say Brandon. I, didn't enjoy it, but, you know. I, I don't simply enjoy Brandon Sanderson books. I get actively obsessed with whichever one I am currently reading. Very good. I, I think and that, I, I'm still lingeringly obsessed with Mistborn. I'm always <laughs> obsessed with Mistborn. <laughs> it's a perpetual cycle. So that's not what we're here to talk about. No, though. we're here not to here to talk about, about Mistborn. We're here to talk about the way King. I think, I think the easiest way to talk about this was would be to go through the main characters and just talk about mm -hmm. what we think about their part of the story. Because at least in this book, they're all pretty sec separate from each other. They haven't really mm -hmm. properly conjoined yet. So it, I think all their stories the get to converge like they do in Words of Radiance. Oh yeah, but uh. Let's talk about the uh, sh the one with the least amount of page time first. What do you think of Zeth? Zeth, ah, yes. Our, our white-clad killer boy. <clears throat> and uh, I guess I should preface this like usual with our main topics. Heavy spoilers. If yeah, you have not read Way of Kings, don't listen to this part of the podcast. Because you should read Way of Kings. Yes, you should. Go read Way of Kings. At the very it's least, listen to fantasy. the audiobook, because audiobooks are valid. It is top-tier fantasy, and it's a genuinely phenomenal yeah, if, story. If a thousand pages is daunting to read, listen to the audiobook. I hear the audiobook. There's your, there's your non-spoiler cliff notes. All right. All right. Spoiler time. Morita. Uh, Zeth, he's a uh... yeah, he's a good character. He's honestly one of the most fascinating talking? parts of this story as I've read it so far, just in terms I of like the sense of mystery behind him. I I find strangely that the that often like the uh, one character that the interludes focus on primarily in each book are one of the most fascinating parts of the story. But you know, anyway. You were saying. What was I saying? I don't know. I thought you were saying something. Don't leave me hanging here. Uh, Zeth good. Zeth good. I've, I've, I just find him fascinating because of how he is, mysterious a... he is and the unique situation he's constantly thrust into leads to a lot of compelling exploration of his character. He's a, he's a very shockingly well-written character with how little page time he has with how little page time he has and <laughs> the atrocities he commits the fact that they make him genuinely sympathetic and compelling i say they but it it's was written man. by a single author <laughs> but you know the 
I'm, I'm just used to talking about stuff like movies and stuff yeah. that are written by multiple people. But anyway, the, the way he manages to make him genuinely compelling and kind of sympathetic despite the atrocities he's committing are is mm-hmm. incredible. It really is quite impressive. The, the, his Zeth's last interlude, honestly, when he breaks into that to the banquet hall of the uh, the king of Yakved, I think it is. Oh yeah, and just slaughters the entire banquet of people. Honestly, some of the the best written action. That just leads to really interesting psychological stuff because it focuses a lot on how he starts to blame the people he's murdering for not being mm-hmm. able to kill him. Which Mm -hmm. is a really fascinating but fitting coping mechanism almost. Mm -hmm. To where he's just so damaged from all the damage he's forced to commit. That he stops thinking rationally about it as a way to keep himself alive almost. Mm. Because you can't do stuff like that and remain sane. That just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. The way that chapter uses the magic system and uses lashing honestly really phenomenal i really love the way that he plays off of the other the characters in the scene lash the lashings is honestly one of the most fascinating pieces of like combat oriented magic i've seen in anything granted i haven't Mm -hmm. seen that much yet but just the unique uses it has in a combative situation is fascinating Mm -hmm. And especially in situations where he's committing massacres and just how friggin' brutal and mm-hmm. godlike it has to seem to the people who can't defend against it. Oh, yeah. Like, this dude is running on walls, running off of ceilings, jumping around, spinning midair, sticking you to tables. Dude just changes... There's nothing the... you can do to fight against a being Dude like just that. changes his gravitational pull at one point and brings one of the uh, one of the officers with him, so they're just fighting on the roof while everyone else looks up in awe. Unless I'm mistaken, it's been months since I actually finished reading it, like I said before. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> I just, uh, I just, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, unless you have anything else to say about Zeth, we can move on to. Another he gives character. us one of the one of the strongest opening lines of the book. <sighs> that is an that is a ridiculously good opening line. That opening line is crazy, man. It sets the mood and everything so freaking well. But uh, yeah. <clears throat> Moving on, I guess we could uh, talk about Shalon next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, her stuff in in the Way of Kings was kind of the stuff that I was least interested in. Not to say it was bad by by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Her stuff, especially her stuff later on in the book, uh, when it starts dealing with her and uh, Shadesmar and her relationship to to uh, shoot. Why am I forgetting what they're called? So much to keep track of. Uh, whatever, her spren starts to, to pick up the pace and become more interesting. But before that... I think a lot of that's in the second book, actually. No, no I just mean, like, her, you know... Find, like, discovering this stuff uh, and seeing these things. Yeah, like that's not, that, like, the very uh, tail end. When that stuff starts happening, it starts her her sections start picking up a whole lot more for me. But before that, they there were the elements of the book that 
grabbed me the least, I suppose, and I can't quite explain why. Yeah, they weren't bad. They, they were far from bad. They were they're very well crafted, and some there is some good character stuff there. But especially after having finished finished Words of Radiance and seeing what Sanderson does with Sean there, it just doesn't hold a candle. It's the weakest link, but it's still extraordinarily strong the in weakest, comparison the to a lot of The weakest link in a Sanderson story is far stronger than a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I thought I'd have okay. more to add about Shalon, but I I don't have much to say. Really. But before we continue on with like talking about the individual, let's talk about the world for a second. The world that Sanderson has crafted here with Wishar, because uh, this is one of the this is a very strange world. Being honest. It is fascinating, just in terms of like, flora and fauna alone. It is in terms incredibly of the, unique. The natural things that inhabit the world on their own, not even anything else. It's very, very, very otherworldly and out there. At times, when you're reading that first book, at least, at times it feels so distant uh, from anything else in fantasy that it starts to feel almost akin to a a, a planet in a sci-fi series. Yeah. More than a fantasy series. And, like, the stuff it does with cultures as well is incredibly fascinating. The, the cultures in this book, the, the, all the different cultures that you hear about and, and read about and that are later on expanded upon in the uh, the other two books is crazy. This the, the world that Sanderson has built here is massive and incredibly ambitious. And I have, I have a lot of respect for the man in that regard. <laughs> and it's still only one facet of the Cosmere. It's kind it, of it's the main very... central facet, but still one only one. So it's, it's a very uh, it's a very strange world to like get start reading about and learning about. It feels very weird reading it for the first time. Later on, once like you're more accustomed to the world and everything feels more natural, you kind of forget about that. Like for instance, when um, Shalon arrives at Carbranth and she takes out her uh, her pouch her sphere pouch. And it describes to you the currency that they use in this world, and that it's it's basically marbles, glowing marbles. It it just has a very weird feeling when you find out when it describes that to you. It's so very otherworldly and distant, and yet somehow it also makes perfect sense. Yeah, it it's a it does a very good job at building a world you can just get lost in after a while. Oh, like, for sure. It's alien at first, but you very quickly adjust to its uniqueness, I guess. And then and once you do once that, you, you can just get completely that. lost in it. You can just get completely lost in how awe-inspiring a lot of it is, especially in the uh, in the chapter with with the chasm fiend hunt, which we'll get to that with Dallin. We'll get to it. But uh, there there's some crazy stuff in there, especially with like the. Uh, and the way that the like the animals of this this world have changed like according to that world's rules and the things that happen on storms that occur yeah the, the way the high storms affect literally every facet of nature it changes pretty much everything about how the world and that ecosystem works and functions and then there's animals with ha like animals that we would think of in our world with like fur and you know, like 
stuff are basically just myths on this world because the you, high storms you have forces and that's about it everything else is powerful chickens yeah every everything else is like very bug-like oh, with car parses and shells and just designed like to be very resistant to the extreme elements that they mm-hmm. live in and the same goes for yeah. stuff like plants because they all live with, with inside like rock-like buds and retract into it when disturbed. Which yeah. So despite really the fact there is grass and trees and things populating this the area in this world, characters are never like walking on soil or dirt. It's constantly just a, a f- constant field of rock. Yeah. Terrain. There and are, whenever they walk somewhere, there are like grass yeah. will retract back into its its yeah. hole. It's very strange to yeah. read about. And there are places in the world that feel more normal, but they've only been explored in, like, interludes and stuff, and they're presented as being the alien terrain. Yeah. Because the harsh, rock-like and solid structure mm-hmm. of most of it is just what everyone is used to. So it presents it- you with a more delicate side of nature in mm-hmm. more sheltered parts of the world it's very alien to them which i find fascinating it's a very interesting juxtaposition and way of presenting these worlds yeah. because i mean it makes sense that a fantasy world would have basically a wholly different ecosystem than what our world has but that's not really something you see a whole lot yeah and that's not to yeah. say there's anything wrong with taking heavy inspiration from our world. It's just nah. very uncommon to see something go that far into crafting mm-hmm. an entirely oh, yeah. different setting. And I really like it. I, I really love it, man. Yeah. But uh, from there, since I don't think we have much more to say on Shalon, because as good as her part is, it's also the part that there's the least to say about it's really. Kind of she doesn't really get her proper start as a fully compelling story until the second book but we'll, mm. we'll get into that some other time kind of interesting like these books as a whole how they do focus specifically on a number of different characters and their points of views but like there are specific characters that the book like as a whole will basically belong to like yeah like if way of kings is basically kaladin's book words of radiance is, belongs to shallan and Oathbringer is pretty much Dalinar's book. Yeah. Apparently it was find that originally supposed to be Zeth's, but then it changed. Really? Yeah. Which one? Uh, Oathbringer. Oh, really? Yeah. I know he comes in, like, at the very end in part four, but I haven't gotten that far in yet. Yeah. I think that's where I read, like, the Wikipedia article or something. Where oh, it said okay. that was the original plan for it, but as it went, he decided oh. to make it Dalinar's. That was a good decision, let me tell you. But that's not mm-hmm. that's not what we're focusing on. That's a different on. book for a different time that I haven't read. Tom will get to next year. I'll get to it as soon as I can. It's hard to get stuff with libraries the way they are right now. Yeah, it sucks. But uh, yeah, moving on, I guess to Dalinar. Dalinar, the man. Dalinar Honestly. and Adolin. I, I, I like a lot of. I know people always talk about like Kaladin, specifically in Way of Kings. He's like this this book's poster boy. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the the stuff with Dalinar and Adolin and all of them fascinated me and interested me somewhat more than Kaladin's stuff. If I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. 
because this Kaladin stuff is, is good. It's fantastic. Really fantastic. But Dalinar's stuff, this the idea of this um this very kingly figure who's technically not a king being who has all of the the attributes that would be attributed to a very respected, renowned king figure in any other fantasy basically being the runt of the litter in this noble society and being looked down upon and mocked for those very attributes yeah. fascinates me. Yeah, It's a kind of not necessarily subversion, but head flip that I that I find very interesting. It it does a lot of very compelling and fascinating things with his character, mm-hmm. especially later he, on. Yeah. Whenever, due to these these visions in the high schools that he's having, because yeah. when they start asking if he's even particularly sane anymore, yeah. throws a whole different level. It's this top. this leadership figure in a sort of like deputy king like position in the country structure because you have the main king and then you have the high princes which used to rule their own lands but were united together into one nation but they're basically still completely their own things because they don't really recognize the king's authority because because it's a fairly new thing still in this specific culture uh the alethi culture it's a very very stringent uh, culture that even divides like it's a very what war kind of food focused what kind of food culture. you can eat yeah. based upon gender and yet yeah. somehow it's a very disrespectful culture if that makes any sense mm-hmm. like they treat uh they treat war the high society at least treats war and the, specifically this war to uh to, yeah. to avenge the death of their king as essentially a board game yeah to see who can collect the yeah, most. Let's see high society's attitude towards war in general is weirdly fascinating in how it's kind of very, disgusting it is. It's a very messed up, very sleazy kind of culture and attitude yeah. things. Yeah. And just and the they, culture in general is fascinating with the way gender roles are balanced against each other in a way that don't they're... Don't go showing that hand around. <laughs> Don't you dare show off your left it's, hand. To someone. It's one of the most fascinating depictions of gender roles I've ever seen because in a lot of ways, men and women are fairly equal in society, but they have such completely different roles in society. Like, that... it's just outright banned and looked down upon for a man to know how to read yeah. because it's a woman. Men do thing. not read. That is a womanly art. They don't practice the arts like painting or music or it's anything. general. And women don't practice the arts of war. There are the feminine arts. Such. There are the masculine arts. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting. You would think with a society based around something like that, that handling like that kind of topic or the topic like uh, you know sexism or something would be very ham-fisted and very shoved down your. Th- Sanderson weaves these things into a story in a shockingly natural yeah. way. Mm-hmm. It, it it just yeah you know, it just works in the context of the world and you don't even mm-hmm. really think about how weird and different it is because that's just the mm-hmm. way things are in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He does a very good job exploring that, and even like the way that religion, works, at least in this first book, because there's a lot of stuff from Way of Kings in terms of the the world building and how it feels that kind of gets 
uh, left behind as the story moves on and the world itself progresses past these things. <laughs> like, the way the religion is basically orchestrated entirely around whatever profession you take in life. Oh, yeah, you're calling. And making sure you perfect that, and that's basically how you get into heaven. Yeah, you perfect what you Which do. Which in and of itself is a battlefield. Yeah. It's... it's a world where war and battle is so quote-unquote quote renowned that the, the, the heaven... War is very heavily intertwined to battlefield. Yeah. Yeah, the whole the whole concept of war and conflict is like intrinsic to the Alethi culture in a very interesting way. Mm -hmm. And Sanderson handles those topics and those themes of of war in general, and the uh, the gray areas and the kind of rationalities that are drawn from it in very interesting ways that grow far more uh, complex as the story and the characters themselves grow along with it. Something else that's very ambitious about it, looking at it as a whole, is how literally everything changes and morphs as things progress from the world to the characters to the themes themselves. So anyway, we're talking about Dalinar, yeah, right? Yeah, Dalinar. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting because you have... I, I don't know if I've said part of this before or not because of our tangent, but I'll just start it over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have this, like, authority figure with, mm-hmm. you know, the essentially demi... De, demi is that the word? Deputy king or, like, demi-king or something? Yeah. It's a small... Like, it's a king of a deputy. small territory under a larger king's territory. With his own smaller high lords and yeah. such. It's, it's kind of like a feudalism structure, but very different. Far more complex. Yeah, but it's essentially kind of like that, where you have smaller kings working under yeah. a uh, top dog king. Yeah, who's not really a top dog. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you have this figure who is going through severe mental and emotional changes at this late stage mm-hmm. in his life. Very rapidly and very suddenly as well. Yeah. Where he used to be the Blackthorn, you know, this domineering and powerful warlord that would chop off the head of anyone that dared to oppose him and his brother in their conquest. Essentially the the poster boy for proper Alethi culture yeah. and standing. Yeah. He royal was standing. he was the definition of warlording tyrant. The the barest definition. Trust oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy. Let me tell you. Oh boy. And uh, so, then he, his brother is assassinated under his very nose because he was busy being drunk. And suddenly the world is turned up. His entire down understanding of the world is shifted. And he starts reading the ancient book named after the book that you're reading. The Way of it's Kings. It's a very strange system. Of what titles? Yeah. Yeah. Because the second book is named after a book a character reads as well. But, uh. I'm pretty sure Oathbringer is named after a book someone in the world is writing currently. Isn't it named after his sword? I thought it was, but, like, it's implied during the first part, at least, you know, where they have, like, those excerpts as chapter headers Mm. that it's from. 
a book that someone is currently writing. Huh. Interesting. Titled Oathbringer. Hmm. Hmm. So anyway. But yeah. And as he's doing that, he starts having these visions during high storms that give mm-hmm. him glimpses of the distant ancient past foreboding the dystopian apocalypse that's literally right on their and everyone yeah. and because they're you know cryptic visions from an unknown source he's questioning of his course, sanity the, the almighty can't just kind of come down and be like all right hey bro this is what's going on what's gonna happen here's what you gotta do hey what's up homie so I'm God, and this is exactly <laughs> what you need to do. No, no, he's got to come down and be all cryptic about it. Like, figure it out for your story. Yeah, Jeez. But yeah, that leads him to questioning his sanity as his the changes he imposes because of it completely shift his the way he's perceived by his peers and by his subordinates. And essentially a, an instant snap of a finger, the whole Alethi society turns around turns on him himself yeah. to basically just kind of look down on him he was the poster child for the perfect perfect alethi king and now he's going against the grain incredibly hard so now this guy has to this guy who should be able to claim authority and bring all this stuff together has to yeah. claw and scrape his way up the ladder a accustomed warrior has to learn how to handle the complex court of politics mm-hmm. to scrape his way into where he needs the country to be in order for them to survive what's coming, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly fascinating dynamic. Mm-hmm. Especially considering other things are into in the mix I'm with sure another it, certain character. And I'm, I'm sure it gets even more so later in the... Oh, it does. Trust works. me. Let me tell you. <laughs> Chuckles and superior knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was me the entire time you were reading through Mistborn, so. <laughs> Granted, I was just barely ahead of you on that. Just one. barely by a little bit. I was like a book ahead of you at a time. Mm hmm, mm hmm. But, uh. Yeah. Unless you have more to Dalinar say. good. Dalinar. Uh, his son, Adolin, also has some good. Dynamic. Adolin doesn't really get as much development focus here as he does in the other two books. The but way it's still pretty yeah, good nonetheless. The way he and his character plays off of Dalinar though leads to some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. That it it's does, a very well crafted father son dynamic. Everything related to Adolin and his his life, his social life, his standing in Alethi society and having to one day eventually take his father's place. With, all depends on the way everyone else sees Dalinar. Things Dalinar is currently dealing with yeah. mentally and otherwise. Yeah. So, at so least... it creates this kind of dynamic that is very well explored and interesting. It's a very fascinating father-son dynamic. and It's, it's, a... it's very interesting because there is that respect and love that they have between them. Cause they're, There's you know, a they're growing son. respect. Yeah. Adolin has to kind of they... grow into this point where he sees his father as a, a respectable figure and someone who should be a um, an influencing voice in this culture, but isn't due to a number of messed up factors within the yeah. culture itself. Yeah. So there is very realistic and believable conflict between them, but throughout that there's a growing level of respect and understanding that 
also mm-hmm. feels incredibly natural and good. Mm-hmm. So, Indeed. I, I, I like me a good father-son dynamic, or just good relationship dynamics and stories in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That stuff gets to me. It's the type of thing that you don't see done well as often as it probably should be. So mm-hmm. when it is yeah. pulled off this well, I'm here it's for nice. it. nice. Sanderson is the boy to do it. Oh, yeah. Who's next on your well, list? Well, uh, I guess finally, since we've covered the other main characters, finally. we have Kaladin, the poster, the poster boy. boy. The sort of main, main character of Way of Kings. Oh, boy. You can kind of tell who's the main character based on who has flashbacks. Kaladin is pain incarnate. Oh, boy. Emotional and physical pain and trauma incarnate. The The man is one of the most disgruntled, pain-ridden, beaten-down characters that I have I've read about. Granted, that implies I have read a lot of stuff like this, but it still stands. <laughs> the, the way that Sanderson uses Kaladin's parts of the book to explore stuff like depression and how you handle these kinds of hopeless situations trying to scrape your way to some kind of meaning mm-hmm. to give your life the... purpose... This kind of intense, well this kind of intense pressure and weight that's added onto that with the this added burden of leadership that you never really asked for, yeah. that just kind of came at you, especially after pretty much every leadership position he's taken before has ended in complete disaster. Nothing Even if it wasn't death. necessarily his direct fault, he was in charge when everyone he was in charge of and cared about died. And he blames himself to the absolute fullest. His brother died. His squad died. All the other slaves he's tried to save died. And yet, for some reason, he is still alive and walking around. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. The way it handles survivor's guilt that he goes through is Mm -hmm. is insane. Especially during the Honor Chasm chapter (sighs) section, which is fantastic. The Anarchasm is one of the best sequences in the entire book, in terms of just rock-solid character exploration. The way he's just so physically and emotionally and mentally drained and finished with it all. Just how everything around him for the past years has just worn him down to the fullest extent. He's just completely broken. Until he finally, thanks to Syl, his spren, tells what is it that she does? What is it that she tells him? I forget now. She gives him a poison leaf, not knowing it's one of the most dangerous natural poisons (laughs) in the in in the entire continent. Planet. Thinking it would make him happy, and then says something along the lines of, "If they're already doomed to die, you can't exactly make it worse. So why not try?" And in a way, he, in a way, he does throw himself into the honor chasm in that he, his old, he throws that broken dead self. self. Yeah, he throws he throws the broken side of himself into that and forces himself 
to start yeah, pairing it's, again. It's probably best described by the line itself when he goes back to Gaz. Oh, that's such a good He throws line. him on the ground. He, he just looks him dead in the eye and he tells him, I died back at that chasm. Now you have my vengeful spirit to deal with. That's such a good and line. And then walks away. That's such a good line, dude. Not only Ooh. is it very cool and bone chilling, but it also very succinctly and perfectly summarizes Kaladin's uh, growth and change as a character. And this is early on in the book. This is during like part one, near the tail end of part one, mind you. Yeah. So your boy still has a lot of growing and exploration to do throughout the I guess uh, it's important now that we talk about the best character in the book, Syl. Syl. Because she is the best the best character in this book, and I will not hear any other opinion. I will not stand for any Syl slander. I will not stand for anyone to remotely claim that she is not the best character in this book, because you are objectively Syl incorrect. is objectively <laughs> completely and utterly the best person in this book she is the most wholesome figure i yeah it especially works as a contrast because you have all these broken mentally tormented characters going through he's just being absolute followed. heck he's just being followed around by this friend who has a very childlike outlook on the very cheerful childlike outlook on the world that just brings so much joy to any scene she's in like genuinely i'm not even being ironic it is incredibly well written it's it's very nice it's very uh what's the word i'm looking for shoot very very infectious the enthusiasm yeah. so uh what are what else you got on your your list my list if anything I was just going through the main characters. Oh, I okay. didn't have a list. I was just thinking it would be the easiest way to talk about is if we talk at one character at a time. We did go off on a couple tangents there. They were good tangents, though. They were good tangents. I like those tangents. They so, were fun tangents. Yeah, I think... How about Sadius? Oh, boy. <laughs> I completely... Um, I, was, I, was, I was planning on talking about Sadius, but I kind of forgot. Nice. He's one of the more prominent characters in the book who doesn't get a Sadius perspective. is a fascinating sort of antagonist Antagonist. Figure. He's basically Dalinar's antithesis, and is basically the the personification of ideal Alethi society. Yeah. He, he's very sleazy, and he's very sleazy, and he, he's very much so an eel. He's, he's just straight up an eel, he... but the way he sees due to a lesson society is as the protagonist essentially yeah. unironically and genuinely he, he he fully believes he has the best interest of his country at heart but everything he, he does is the exactly what's wrong with it everything he does only serves to break it apart and screw things up even more. Yeah. and it's infuriating and i i hate sadius so much man it's he's even such a worse perfect, than, he's such a perfect foil of Dalinar because of that. He is. Because you have this honorable figure trying to reshape the country to be what it needs to be. And at the opposite end of that, you have this sleazy high prince who refuses to let that happen. This sleazy high prince who looks at bridge crews who run run on these plateau assaults with the, 
with his army to get them across as basically cannon fire to, to die. This and man who sees his human troops. life as a worthless expense to so, suit his ends. To suit his ends of getting richer. Not, not even fulfilling the vengeance pact, just getting richer. Just getting richer, and that's it. Really. Capitalist society, it's, am I right? <laughs> it's made, it, but it's made even more painful when you learn about like how good Dalinar and Sidious is genuinely good their friendship was back before and the, the war it, on the Shattered Plains. And how good it could be, and they make you think it might get to be. And it is even more painful when <laughs> these two start to reconnect, and you're like, okay, maybe the Sidious guy is pretty alright. He's gonna change and stuff. They're gonna be pals and work through it, and... Oh, and then he leaves him to oh, die he, in the middle of a hopeless just, battle. He just left Dalinar and hundreds of thousands of innocent men to die on a plateau in the middle of nowhere against Yay. hopeless odds o okay then yeah. that chapter Sadias's is insane betrayal is another one of the highlights of the book in terms of just incredibly well written sequence it's a very well written sequence that is very uh very emotionally painful. shocking and chilling when it starts to happen, you realize what's happening very slowly when this realization sets in. Oh, no. Oh, no. It just oh, no. it grabs you and you just start hyperventilating. That's I mean that's hyperbole. That, that's hyperbole, but that's how it feels to be reading that chapter. Yeah. And the abs the, the the highs and the lows that that whole section takes until it reaches this this absolutely glorious crescendo when Kaladin yeah. breathes in stormlight and just charges in and slaughters as a, as a radiant in a single he go. just he just leaps this this massive chasm in one jump speaking these these oaths to fulfill his uh powers or whatever as a radiant yeah. a night radiant just the wording just of that sequence the and phrase. the prose is incredible the pro Brandon Sanderson's prose throughout the book in general is very well and captures the, the atmosphere of the world and yeah. brings you into it quite beautifully. Yeah. And with that the sequence sections, in particular, the way it describes it is so vivid. It's, it's so vivid yet feels poetic in a way. It do be like that sometimes. <laughs> it's incredibly well done. I, yeah, I it's dig very it well written. Sections like, like that and the honor chasm, and the uh, the bit where Dalinar saves Elokar from from a chasm fiend, yeah. are glorious. Yeah. And what make they aren't on their own. What makes Sanderson books phenomenal and worth reading? But they're certainly a part of. Yeah. And just in general, the guy does third acts, both of individual books and oh, whole series, is incredibly well. The way this like, man handles very... climaxes and crescendos is you could glorious. Very, you could very well argue that the man's greatest strength as an author is the third act. He's just building continuously, pu pushing, piling one on top of the other different story and character elements until they all just reach a point where they can go no more and they just burst out in this extravagant climax. Where that be in a series as a whole, like with uh, Mistborn and um, Hero of Ages, or in just climaxes of a, a chapter or an, a book. 
individually, like with Stormlight, it's it's very very impressive and enthralling to read. Yeah. So and it makes we have, me, and it makes me very scared for the final act of the first arc of Stormlight because there's supposed oh to be a time skip and another arc, which means it can't end well for the characters I love. I'm so scared of what my boy is going to do to m- these characters. Book I'm 5 so is going to be gonna a experience, and Book 4 ain't even I yet. I'm very afraid for Book 5. Book 5 is going to be pain. Which, while we're talking about the future, can I just highlight how friggin' amazing the, force, the fourth book's title is? <laughs> like even without having read it yet because it's not out rhythm of war just is such a good title i'm really interested in where that's gonna go because the implication there with like you know rhythms and things being the the way that parshendi and parshman uh communicate with one another yeah. quite literally they're always chanting in their own language to various kind of... rhythms depending on what mood or feeling mm-hmm. they're trying to like convey. it kind of implies to me that that book as like Oathbringers, Dalinars, and so on, that, that book is somehow going to be long to a Parshendi character. I, I don't know how he's going to go about that, so I'm very interested. Well, there are Parshendi characters prominently featured in the interludes of the second book, so I yeah. could very well see that happening to some extent. Though how I could he certainly that off, see I have no idea. Knowing him, he'll do it well, though. If that is Knowing him, he's going to snort 10 pounds of cocaine and then make a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, I just even without the context of the story, just I just love that title, man. It's got such oomph title, to it. Man. It's got oomph, it's got the... implications. It makes you intrigued as to what the heck is going to go on. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's weird to be about... gushing about a title, but I just like that title a lot. <laughs> Sorry. So if we're talking about the uh, the, imp- the the future of Stormlight the uh implications oh, there yep. so how about the supposed stormlight movie oh boy. that's gonna that be is supposedly in development i don't know how they're gonna even attempt to pull that off because the only way i could see it working in a movie form is if they do a very loose adaptation which it, could turn out good but it would it not could be turn a out proper good adaptation as a, it could turn out decent or good as a standalone but from what we can gather they're wanting to basically their own mcu type deal and if that's what they do then their stormlight adaptations and the stormlight world are just gonna be a whole mess yeah of course i I, I, we don't know anything about it other than sure they're doing that all we know is they're making a mistborn movie and a stormlight movie and they have the film rights to the entire cosmere whether they're attempting to do a mcu cinematic universe with the cosmere is not known but that's just the general vibe i got from their website i am just generally speaking i'm very nervous and i dread that film a whole if i'm being totally honest looking promising to me but mistborn is looking promising so yeah i'm not too worried about that but honestly any way i look at it i can't see stormlight working yeah, it could maybe work as a Game of Thrones type show, but even then, the way it's structured is so specific to written word that I, I think don't know could, how it would work. I, I think it could work as a show, honestly, yeah, fairly well could. as a show. Yeah. Stuff would be changed around and trimmed for sure. You, it I mean, you're not going to need heavy modification, but yeah, it could work as a show, but just as a movie, as a film, adapting a thousand page book to a movie, that, that just doesn't work. 
It's like trying to take The Lord of the Rings and make one singular film that encompasses the whole story of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's not gonna work. Even if you have a three-hour movie on your hands, it's still not gonna work. Any way you cut And Lord of the Rings, as is, individually, is almost three hours collectively. Not collectively, but, like, per movie. the films themselves yeah. are nearly three hours each. Yeah. And that's if not... If you go by extended, a lot of them are close to four hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those are just covering a single book in Tolkien's world. Yeah. So adapt... Book... You put... Those are... It's a three-hour movie based off of a third of a thousand-page series. So mm-hmm. trying to adapt a thousand-page book in a series... Which is a part of a ten-book series into a single film that's, is that's near impossible. An, that's an impossibly tall order. So I hope that they... Either A, they somehow pull off a literal miracle and make something really dang good and impressive, or or it's going to end up a total Either they change their minds and make it a show, or they don't go a Cosmere Cinematic Universe route and just make it sort of a standalone film about Kaladin, which could work fairly well as a standalone film. But only as a standalone. Yeah, you can't really have a and sequel also, to even that then it doesn't make having. Yeah. And you can't with... really have a sequel to that that takes place in Words of Radiance without knowing about Shalon's stuff in the first book. And even then, Shalon's stuff it, doesn't it, really it, make for a particularly good film, standalone film on its own. Yeah. And even but, you know, even if you did make that adaptation, even it, it would make the title "Way of Kings" not make any sense anymore because the "Way of mm-hmm. Kings" title is based off of Dalinar's side of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they would have to change the title to make sense, and I don't know. I just can't see it working any way that you put it, honestly. And I'm really dreading it. Yeah. But it's clearly very early in production, so we'll see how it turns out. Mistborn I'm cautiously hopeful for, but Stormlight I dread greatly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, just back to the book, there was one last point I wanted to make before we end. All right. Because... One of the things that really makes this stand out to me, just in terms of scale, is just the sense of foreboding it has. Mm. Like, throughout the (laughs) entire book, there's this mounting feeling that there is something massive coming. Mm -hmm, This mm -hmm. cataclysmic clash of deities that Mm -hmm. completely dwarfs anything that both has happened in the Cosmere before and just any event so far in in Stormlight. Yes. And judging from what I'm hearing, that 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 feeling just continues to grow and grow and grow throughout the oh, following me. books. It ramps up so much throughout. So the scale of where this series is going to end up is Crazy. insane to even imagine, let alone <laughs> try and sit down and write. So mad respects to the author there. And that's just talking about this one overarching story in the Cosmere, yeah. not the Cosmere as a whole. What Sanderson is trying to pull off with, That's a with whole Stormlight piece. and the Cosmere in general is insanely ambitious, but it's going so well, I just I got, I got mad respects for the man. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see where he goes with it in the following books. So I need Rhythm of War now. <laughs> I need to get through everything else so that I can read Rhythm of War when it comes out. Or at least relatively soon after it comes out. Yeah. I I need Rhythm of War and the last Mistborn Era 2 book now. 
Yeah. So yeah, so, yeah. that's that's I, think about what we have to say about the Way of Kings. If you made it this far and haven't read the book, what are you doing with your life? But still, Go, read it. hopefully we've made a good case for it. Go read the book now. If for some reason you don't care about spoilers and read and listen through this to see if it's for you, hopefully it is, and you'll read it because it's a very good book. It's very very even quality. knowing what happens in it because I've read it a couple of years ago. It was still an mm -hmm. insanely compelling experience. So mm -hmm. while the spoilers would detract from the experience, they wouldn't ruin it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So definitely read it if you have not, or if you have, read it again sometime. That can't hurt. Uh, thanks for yeah. listening to our incredibly epic and gamer podcast. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next time when we talk about uh, the Alex Jones movie. Oh, yeah. That's definitely <laughs> happening. That's definitely happening. It, it definitely exists. I think I made up on the spot for a bad joke. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. We'll see you next month. Goodbye. I'm your... Oh.